0: Well, good morning. Good morning. So happy to see you. It's great to be here live and in person. I know some are watching via live stream. That's another great option. I want to just mention that beginning Wednesday, I'm actually launching one of my adult classes. I'm going to actually be teaching a class on Zoom on the book of Ephesians, and it's actually going to go... 11 weeks in the fall and 11 weeks in the winter. So 22 weeks on the book of Ephesians. A really phenomenal study. So if you'd like to sign up for that class, that's great. I know Karen is going to be offering a class as well here in another couple of weeks. But I just wanted to mention that one this Sunday because um, how many know Wednesday's coming pretty quickly? So I'm just giving you a heads up to register for that as well because there's actually notes. Everything's free. We send you the notes via email write to you prior to each class. As well, I want to also just mention a text of Scripture that really struck me this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, and it's just simply found in the book of Galatians. And I was reading this verse, and it just says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, I want you to notice when Paul was writing that, that was 2,000 years ago, and he was basically saying that God's going to give us grace and peace through Christ, through the redemption of our sins, to rescue us or deliver us from this present evil age. How many want to be delivered from this present evil age? But I want you to know it's actually possible. You can actually experience that not just in the future, but right now as we experience the grace of our Lord Jesus. Let us stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to continue our series from the book of Proverbs. And uh, I have really been enjoying studying this book. I've been doing it for two years. And what's really impacting me is how much of the New Testament teaching is actually flowing from these wisdom Proverbs. They're just so powerful, and you're going to see it again this morning. So, Lord, I just thank you this morning that you are a deliverer that you are here to deliver us from this present evil age with all of its problems, all of the sorrow, the heartache, the disease, uh, the pain, the separation, the brokenness, the poverty, Lord, uh, the injustices, Lord, the things that occur in this world, Lord. You redeem us, you, you deliver us, you rescue us from this present evil age and in its place, what you're putting inside of our souls is grace and peace and joy. And so father I pray today even as uh, the men and I were gathered for an hour through Zoom praying and interceding for our church this morning and I thank you that we were praying for joy. We were praying for peace. We were praying for grace. Lord for those right now that are struggling. Those that right now that are living in bondage. Those right now that are struggling with fear. Those that are struggling with discouragement, those that are struggling with a lack of sense of purpose and meaning. Lord, I pray today that you'd fill our hearts with joy, that you'd fill our hearts with peace, that you'd fill our hearts with your grace, and that we would experience that. It wouldn't just be something we're discussing. It's an experience, an encounter with you. And We thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, I, I, I can honestly say I've been just every every morning on my get up, one of the things I do is I work out, and uh, I actually listen to university lectures, and they're usually historical. I've been listening to lectures on the ancient world and what ordinary life was in the ancient world. Let me tell you something. It was far harder than it is today, <laughs> way harder, folks. You and I Uh, really live an amazing life, and we really don't understand that. John Wesley actually grew up in a world of rapid change. We're living in a world of rapid change. How many realize that? Well, John Wesley also grew up in a time when there was great rapid change happening, and it was in many ways much like our own time, and yet in some ways totally different. The whole way of work was changing through the Industrial Revolution in the 18th century part of England, and they had revolution in smelting, and in spinning, and in distilling, and it created whole new industries, and the way people went to work changed, and personal health and cleanliness at that time were actually deplorable. Plague, smallpox, countless diseases that we would consider minor and treatable today had no cures 200 years ago rodent and insect control was minimal. Most dwellings had no running water. Can you imagine getting up this morning and you have to run outside to get water? What was even worse, they only had chamber pots to deal with the elimination issue. And they had no soap as it was not even in common use because you could Imagine how people smelled in those days. Could you imagine transporting back in time? It'd be a shock to your sinuses, I can tell you that much. Infant mortality was extremely high, and a person's life expectancy was in their 40s. So if you're over 40, you probably wouldn't be here this morning. I mean, most of them just didn't survive a long time. And one of the great indictments of the age was in William Hothgard prints about the conditions of life around him. So he has these paintings that he would print, uh, paint out. And, and in two of his prints, one called Gin Lane and Beer Street, they actually rival in some respects and surpass present-day city scenes. And then in the, the one print, I, I looked at it on Gin Lane. There was a picture there of a mother who was in rags and was letting her baby... Uh, her crying baby fall to its death while she obliviously sought momentary pleasure in a glass of gin. Isn't that kind of sad? Not only that, they were feeding gin to their babies to keep them quiet, and often blindness and death was the result of that practice. And what we know today as social conscience was not a prevailing state of mind in Wesley's day. In this world of little hope and few options, John Wesley appeared on the scene where his brother Samuel followed, because they all grew up in a minister's home, his older brother Samuel followed the prescribed path for sons of the clergy, and he became a solid gentleman preacher in the Anglican church, associating with gentlemen and those of wit. John and Charles, his younger brother, took a totally different path that was hazardous, required much self-sacrifice, and John himself decided to live on a stipend of 28 pounds annually, which is below the poverty line, even in her own day. And even though Wesley produced prolifically writings and made a lot of revenue from it, he gave all of those monies to charities and to ministries, and he didn't keep it for himself. Uh, Charles turned down actually a fortune that he was inheriting from a relative in, in Ireland so he could continue to do the work of God and not get tied down to lands and all the rest of that. So I ask the question, what makes People do those kinds of things. In other words, what made them motivated to give their lives in such a dramatic way to serve their countrymen with the gospel? Isn't that a great question? In other words, I, I'm basically uh, asking a question today. What makes people really walk in the fear of God? What does it mean to actually walk in wisdom? Because Uh, that's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to be a wise person? What does it mean to walk in wisdom? What does it mean to live a godly life? I mean, you know, the book of James teaches us, you know, if any man or woman lacks wisdom, we can ask of God. And how many recognize that you and I need to understand the way of wisdom, the pathway that we're supposed to be walking on? Now, we know wisdom is found in a person, but we also know that Jesus taught us how to live. And when I look at the apostle Paul, I recognize he's writing to Timothy. He says there certain things that you need to flee, and there's other things that you need to follow. And the, and the dawns on me, where did Paul come up with these ideas? And where did Jesus come up with some other ideas that he's, he speaks? You say, well, yeah, he's God himself. But it was already framed for them in the book of Proverbs, in this wisdom literature. So we're going to take a look at what does a wise person look like? What characterizes people who are walking in wisdom? And in Proverbs 20, I think we find two key elements that a person of wisdom actually does. And so I want to look at those two key elements. And uh, there's things that you and I are going to try to avoid, and there's things that we're going to see that we're going to try to embrace. And people who avoid these things and embrace these other things in their stead are actually going to walk in a godly way and walk in a way of wisdom. So let's take a look. The first one is knowing what to avoid. Now, how many know in life there are pitfalls? Anybody know that there are some things you want to you, you, you don't want to get off the road, right? There's some places that you, it causes great damage, and we're going to take a look at God's pathway. God's path leads to a godly, healthy, and fruitful life. What we discover it's not is that we we are not to be under the influence of. We're not to be controlled by certain things in our lives, which will then affect our behavior, jeopardize our credibility, and fruitfulness in this life. And so let's take a look at the first thing that we're warned about. And it's immediately in chapter 20, verse 1. We're challenged to avoid chemical addictions. Isn't that interesting? We're living in a culture today that's legalizing things, and yet the scriptures are teaching us to avoid certain things. Now, look look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse one. It says, "Wine is a mocker, and beer or strong drink." The word beer there is a as a translator's decision. Or strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Okay, here wine is described. And beer is described basically in a metaphorical term. In other words, their behavior, when you, when you indulge in or under the influence of, of, of wine and beer, when you're under its influence, these are the characteristics that are going to flow from your life. You're going to become a mocker. You're going to become a scoffer. You're going to brush things off. You're going you're to you know, laugh at that which is sacred and holy. And, and not only that, it also says it leads you astray. Now it's that interesting word, astray. It's a Hebrew word, a saga, which means to stagger. Isn't that interesting? So it's not only, you know, they're translating it lead you astray, but you can translate it: wine and beer, and uh, wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever is led, whoever is, is staggering by them is led you know, is, is not wise. Now, why would he use that term, you know? Because I think it's playing on what happens when one is intoxicated. It impairs not only our motor functions, but also our mental clarity. We just don't have it together. Uh, Paul Koptek says, more important than those who are not wise are led astray by this mocker, just as one who stops listening to instruction will be led astray from the words of knowledge. And that was in the previous chapter. The use of this word sagat suggests that to stagger from drink is to err both in one's steps and in one's judgment, you know. Interesting play on words. You know, Hebrews love to do this. They love doing that kind of thing. Henry Ironside, who lived in a different generation, wrote regarding alcohol. He said, no other vice has so cursed the world and caused such awful misery and suffering as intemperance. Intemperance means you're not willing to control yourself. You're not taking this in a very moderate fashion. It's out of control. And how many know people today are out of control? There's a lot of people battling with addictions. Can we say that's true? Now, I'm going to extend this. We could be talking about addictions in so many areas. We can be talking about, you know, not only chemical addictions. We could be talking about sexual addictions. One of the biggest problems right now with uh, the visual media that we have is a lot of people are struggling with pornography today, and it's wrecking havoc in marriages and relationships. You go, Pastor, how do you know? Because I'm constantly dealing with marriage issues, and the root cause is pornography. And you have to address that addiction. It's a problematic thing. People go, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor. I'm going, because what it's doing is it's messing with your head and it's making you focus on the wrong thing. And it destroys the hard work of building meaningful human relationships. It's very important that we need to know these things. He goes on to say... Uh, Here, he says, The wretched victims of the wine cup has been numbered in hundreds of millions, yet Satan has no difficulty in persuading thousands of reckless youths to daily start upon the same fearful road that has lured these untold hosts to ruins. Now, you you can say, well, Pastor, you know, and he does say this. uh, He goes like, uh, he says... Like every other creature of God, wine has its place. Scripture recognizes its medicinal virtue and a lawful use also when needed. And Paul talked about Timothy having a little wine for stomach's sake. That's a medicinal purpose. You know, Scripture doesn't say you can't have a glass of wine. It's not suggesting that. What it's saying is you can't become intemperate. But how many people, they start out having a social drink, but then they become, there's a problem comes into their lives, and they find that they're overindulging to address the issue they begin to cope by drinking more and more and we we've all seen that happen so how how easy it is for this to become a snare that destroys both the will and wrecks the life and and some of us we've experienced this we understand how difficult this is but a lot of people are oblivious to these things so what is fascinating is that those who are called to live a responsible life of eating leading other people Listen to what Proverbs says. I think this is so fascinating. Here's, here's the, mother, the you know, mother of the king speaking to her son, and she says, it is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer. Huh. Lest they f- drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. What is he saying? When this happens, when you and I just live for our own pleasures, we, we don't take on the responsibilities that God's called us to when he puts us in a realm of leadership. And so we're being warned here. You know, if you're going to be a leader, that's the last thing you need is to have some encumbrance in your life. There's enough issues that you don't need that. Then he go, she goes on to say, let beer be for those who are perishing and wine for those who are in anguish. In other words, you know what? They're just trying to drown their miseries, but that shouldn't be your case if you're going to be a leader. Very powerful words. It also fosters a mocking and quarrelsome attitude. It says beer is a brawler, strong drink is a brawler. It just creates argumentativeness. How many, how many have ever been around somebody who's inebriated and then they just become uh, just nasty? It alters their behavior. They become a very violent person. It leads to unhealthy and unwholesome behavior. Here it's described as a brawler or an argumentative individual, literally a fighter. It creates the fight inside of people. Now, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is going to describe the role of an overseer in a church, and this is what he says. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, not, not intemperate, but temperate, self control respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Wow. He's basically giving you characteristics, the kind of person that should be overseeing the work of God. This is what they should be looking like. And obviously, we find that you, know, you can't be a, you know, a person who's drinking all the time and expect to be an effective leader. That's what Paul is telling you. That's what the Proverbs are teaching you, the book of wisdom there. Uh, another area that wise people avoid is alienating those in authority. Look what it says in verse 2. As a king's rat." As a king's wrath strikes terror like the roar of a lion, those who anger him uh, will forfeit their lives. That's pretty strong language. Now, you have to remember something. Here in this ancient text, the king had, was the absolute authority. I mean, they, were, they had in themselves, in their personhood, both the executive and the judicial office merged into one. Now, in our culture, we don't have that. We have a separation of the executive office and the judicial office, right? We have you know, prime ministers or presidents, and we have courts, and they're different, and they're not making the same rulings. But in a king, you had it all in one person, so if you ticked off that one person, you were in a lot of trouble. And it, you know, basically, he's teaching us, a wise person recognizes that you don't alienate those in authority. But you know what I'm noticing today? We, we don't have that issue. We have a totally different problem in our culture today. We have no respect for authority. That's true. Isn't that right? You know, and you know, a lot of people say, well, pastor, they don't deserve any respect. Look at the way they're behaving. Well, I'm going to just stop you for a minute. If you're going to be a true biblical follower... You have to go back to the scriptures and take a look at who's in authority when paul writes these words in romans chapter 13 paul's writing this about an emperor that most people believed was lacking any sort of sanity and that was nero himself but paul says this very interesting let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which god has established the authorities that exist have been established by god so who's putting these people into power God is, but you know what? I don't like that person. I don't agree with that person. I don't agree with their policies. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. You know, it's like, you know, how many know children grow up, and, grow up in a home, and if they don't honor and respect their parents, what are they, who are they really rebelling against? Ultimately, God. You know, that doesn't mean the parents aren't imper- uh, perfect, because they're not. Sometimes there's even bad parents. Sometimes there's even bad leaders. We all know that those things are true. And yet, if we just let people go ahead and, you know, riot and carry on and just come against order and structure, what are we going to have is anarchy. And that's what we're beginning to see happen in our culture. And this tells me that we're living in a time right now that we're in deep trouble. You know, our civilization as we've known it is actually on the downslope you know i do enough studying of history to recognize what makes for a civilization and what lends for the destruction of one and we're on the downside of it folks if you haven't noticed that and a lot of it has to do with these kinds of things consequently whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what god has instituted and those who do so will bring what judgment on whom on themselves, on themselves. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Now, that's generally the rule. Yeah, there are exceptions. You could argue with me, but that's the general rule, and we need to understand that. You know, I just put this down. We can only conscientiously object when the authorities are doing what is forbidden, forbidding what God has commanded, or command what God has forbidden. That's probably the key understanding of when we can be in a conscientious objector. In other words, they're telling me to do something that God forbids, forbids, or they're telling me not to do something that God tells me to do. That's the only time I can disobey. Other than that, just because I don't agree with them, I just can't always disobey, because unless that's happening, that's the only grounds of conscientious objection. Wise people also avoid strife. Look at verse 3. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. You know, there's a modern parable that goes something like this Let sleeping dogs lie. And what does that mean? Don't agitate others unnecessarily. Don't provoke the bear. You know what I mean? That's what we need to learn. This is not to suggest that we avoid all the issues of life. That's not wisdom. But rather, the idea is that wise people themselves are not easily provoked, and they don't defend themselves at all costs. In other words, we're able to overlook the fact that people are going to say things and do things that may be you know, not fair, they may be wrong in their estimation. But you know what, listen, when you are a secure person, you don't have to defend yourself. As long as you know that you're doing what God's asking you to do, you can just relax. You're gonna always have critics. You're gonna have people that disagree with you. And I think you have to grow up and understand that not everyone's gonna buy into what you think or say or do, that's just the way life works. Bruce Walkie says it so well, the wise are more concerned to bring peace than to be right. But the fool cannot restrain himself and at the first opportunity explodes and shows his teeth. This demeanor to forego defending one's pride when insulted demands that one be humble and submissive, not a rash hothead who trumpets his refusal to submit to anyone. You know, James describes what wisdom from God looks like in a person's life. In James chapter three, three, verse seventeen, he says, "Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving. That's what I'm getting at. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." How many know it takes work to build community? You know, any idiot can destroy relationships. I mean, you know, you, just, you know, I remember doing some construction work. You know, Reg, you're going to love this. You know, he, he told me the other day, he says, you're just the intellectual. I, I don't expect you to have all this practical wisdom. You know, I do know a little bit, but no, I know enough just to be dangerous. But I remember one time when we first bought our first home and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So we bought one of those fixer uppers. And uh, so I had a friend that came over and he was helping me fix up our house. And we were going to take apart this fireplace And I didn't know anything about this, and I said, well, how do you do this? And he says, I'll show you. He took his hammer, and he drove it into the wall and started pulling. he goes, just like that. Do you know it was no problem for me to follow suit? How many know it doesn't take a lot of skill to destroy things, you know? But putting it back together the right way takes a lot more skill, right? How many know that's true? Building things is a lot harder than tearing them down, right? You know, and you know, a lot of times in life we're we're really good at criticizing and tearing down, but how many know it's a whole different story to build up? It takes a lot more skill and understanding to build things than it is to tear it down. How many know it's easier to tear apart a relationship, it's far harder to work at building them up and really making them strong and beautiful, and, and it takes time to do that. Now, here's the fourth thing that's stated here in Proverbs 20 is that a wise person avoids gossip or those who speak too much. I think that's fascinating. Listen, it says here in verse 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Isn't that an interesting statement? So what we're getting is the people that are walking in wisdom learn how to restrain their words. You know, a lot of times, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't always tell you everything I think. You know, a lot of times people are walking around telling me stuff. You know, I'm not gonna argue with everybody's ideas. Why do that? If that's what they believe, let them hold their viewpoints. My attitude is I get to preach to you anyways. You're gonna find out what I think eventually. So that's, that doesn't really matter. I, I'm more, actually, to be honest, who cares what my viewpoint is? I'm more concerned about what God's viewpoint is. That's what I wanna discover. What does God think? You know, We all have opinions in this room. And I said it last week, all of us are looking at life through a glass darkly. We don't have it all together. There's not one person. There's nobody that's smart. The only person that could walk in this room and say, I know exactly everything is Jesus, if he walked in here and stood there. And then I think you and I could totally listen to him, and he'd give it to us just flat out. And you know, it would be funny, some of of us would be arguing with him. (laughs) You go, well, how do you know that, Pastor? I wouldn't argue with Jesus. Well, the Pharisees certainly did. Come on now. Isn't that, isn't that true? There were a lot of people arguing with Jesus. We're funny sometimes. Look, it says here, um, then there are those people. Uh, Paul's writing, he's talking about the characteristics uh, of those people who are idle and go from house to house gossiping. And he describes them as busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Isn't that an interesting description? Now, a lot of people are running around saying stuff they shouldn't even be talking about. That's what he's telling us. Worse still are those who criticize those who God places over them. You know, one of the things that teaches us is to honor our father and our mother. It says, if someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. I don't know if you understand what that means, but Dr. Longman points out this proverb essentially applies a curse to those who curse their parents. A lamp may here stand for one's life energy, but whether or not the penalty implied here is death, horrible consequences are in store for those who treat their parents with disdain. And I'm going to even say this. I think we have to start working harder at guarding our mouths. You know, James basically says, be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to get angry. How many think that's good advice? Where's James coming up with this idea? From the book of Proverbs, because the wisdom literature teaches us that. Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. How many can honestly say your mouth has gotten you in trouble a time or two? Anybody here want to say? Yeah. So what is that teaching us? Don't say so much. Say, Lord, set a guard over my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Pleasing in your sight, oh Lord. You know, help me to be uh, less talkative. I remember as a new Christian, James really convicted me. That verse, chapter 1, verse 19, I, I read that so many times and I went, okay, I got to deal with anger issues and I got to deal with talking too much. You know, and I just thought about that. I just said, Lord, help me to shut up. Lord, help me not to get so uptight about things. How I many think it might be a good prayer? You know, I mean, obviously we need help. Does anybody here else need help with, your, with issues in your soul? I do. I always pray, Lord, I need some big-time help here. Can you kind of shut me down here? Then it says this in Proverbs 10, 19. I'm quoting it in the Holman Christian Standard Version. When there are many words, sins is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is wise. In other words, in much words, you're bound to say the wrong thing. How many know it's easy to offend people? How many have ever been sitting there talking to somebody and you're giving your viewpoint and you have no idea the other person thinks totally the opposite of you? Later on, you find out and you're going, what an idiot, you know? If I'd have been smart, I'd have kept my mouth shut, right? And that's what he's kind of talking about here. Richard Clifford says, ordinarily, abundance is good and scarcity is bad, but with regards to words, the opposite is true. Words should be few and well chosen. And I will say it this way, please think before talking, right? Because sometimes we don't, we're just babbling, you know? You know, we can hardly wait. And sometimes when we're in a conversation, we're not even listening to the other person. We're ready to fire off our own response. Nobody else guilty of that kind of stuff, you know? (laughs) See, what am I saying? I'm saying maybe we ought to work harder at listening to what people are actually saying or what they are actually trying to say. Because how many know sometimes people don't exactly say what they mean, but what they mean may be different. And sometimes when we're listening, we can actually pick up, Oh, I think I know what you're trying to communicate. I don't think you're saying this, but you're actually trying to say that, and I think that's important. So, now we've looked at some of the things we should avoid. Let's take a look at some of the things we should actually embrace. Some of the things we should pursue. We're like the Apostle Paul when he said, "You know, O man of God, flee these things, but now pursue these." And then he gives us a list of what to pursue. It says what is it they were to embrace? If we're we're gonna do what is right, how many know it often negates what is wrong? It's almost a displacement. How many know it's pretty hard to be telling lies if you're telling the truth? You're either doing one or the other. So there's a sense that when you're doing the right thing, you're displacing the wrong thing. So let's take a look at some of the things we should be learning and working and asking God's help to actually walk in this path, because this is the path to wisdom now. We've avoided those pitfalls, right? You know, we're not going to get entangled with addictions. We're not going to be talking too much, you know. We're going to avoid the gossiping. You know, how do you know, where's the the biggest gossip source going on right now? Probably social media. some of us, we bury our head in that. And maybe just evaluate, how much time am I giving to social media versus how much time am I giving to the Word of God? And if it's a far more significant amount, maybe you need to change the timelines, You know, and say, you know, instead of spending three hours in social media and 20 minutes in the Word, maybe I should spend three hours in the Word and only 20 minutes in social media. Maybe that'll change the way my mind works. It's just a thought. Okay, let me move on. First thing I think we should embrace is diligence. Diligence. We should become a diligent people. It's evident in every aspect of our life. A wise person, they're diligent in their relationships, they're diligent at work, they're diligent in their study, they're diligent in their worship of God. So what we're going to see is the contrast here between the wise person who is diligent and those who are foolish, and they just let things slide. They procrastinate. They uh, don't do things. It's kind of a contrast between the the diligent person and the Bible calls the sluggard. And that's a nasty term for the lazy person. Okay? And we're going to see. It says, uh, this is an amazing proverb, uh, 20 verse 4. It says, sluggers do not plow in season. It says, so at harvest time they look but they find nothing. Now how many think that's kind of a weird? Here's somebody else they don't they don't plow, they don't put the seed in, but then when they go at harvest time they go out and look for a crop. Now In my mind, I think what's going on here is they're probably thinking, well, last year I planted something and maybe next year, you know, there'll be a little bit of overgrowth from the year before. But, you know, these guys, instead of going out there and plowing in the season. Now, in Israel, the season was the winter season. That's when you did the plowing and it was the rainy season. It took work to be plowing in the miserable weather between mid-October and April. But if you don't plow in the right season, you're not going to harvest in the right season. If you don't do the hard work, you can't expect to see results at the end. And you know, what that tells me is they were developing what I would call an entitlement mentality. You know, And you know, we have that now in this culture. We have a major entitlement mentality. Can I just tell you how people think today? A lot of people think, I don't need to work, I'll just, you know, collect UI. Or I don't need to work, Uh, the government will pay for this. Can I explain to you what the government really means? The government collects taxes from the people who are working so they can redistribute it to the people who don't work. Is that what we're looking forward to? That's a demotivating factor for people who are working. How many can see there's some problems in the system? And I don't think people understand that. You know, it's just, we just don't think. You know, and here's the really strange thing. Well, you know, just, you know, print up some more money and send it out, you know? Can I tell you what's gonna happen in our country if we don't get our debt under control? This is a little political statement, but you'll see where my head's at. If we don't get our debt under control, we'll have runaway debt. And what that means is everything will start inflating, and pretty soon none of us can afford anything. How's that? And that's what we're moving towards. But we don't think this way, because we just think there's an unlimited supply. And I'm going to argue there's a limited supply. And God is calling us to be wise stewards and wise managers. And we have to be diligent in how we do these things in our lives. How about this one? Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. What's he saying? Uh, He's basically challenging us to be industrious, to work hard, you know, And then we can expect a reward. Proverbs 19.15 says, laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless go hungry. Here we see that laziness changes our state of being like a deep sleep. How many know when you're in a deep sleep, you don't even know what's going on around you? Anybody know that? You're oblivious to what's going on. And this is what happens when we're lazy, we go into another state of thinking. We're oblivious to what's happening around us. you know. And the shiftless go hungry. Apart from diligent desires, Uh, you know apart from diligence desires will not be fulfilled in our lives it says laziness makes for poverty but diligent hands bring wealth diligent hands will rule but laziness ends in forced labor i just wrote down hey you want to be a leader in the organization you better be diligent because if you're not people are going to tell you what to do that's what he's basically saying here isn't that right that's what happens uh Next, we see the wise person evidencing a concern for other people. Proverbs 20 and verse five says, the purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Now, here we see that what's inside of a person is sometimes hidden. That's what he's talking about. But a person of understanding or insight can draw out what's inside of people. But how many know that takes actually concern or Focus on that individual for that to happen. You can't just draw things out if you're not focusing on them. Wise people, I wrote, are outward bound and others focused. If you're a wise person, you're going to be outward bound and others focused. Here's what I noticed people who are not wise tend to be inward bound and inward focused. It's all about them. You know what I mean? That's where their heads are at. And I'm just trying to encourage us. You want to be wise? Get away from yourself, focus out. You know, the moment, you know, one of the greatest things that could happen to Canadians right now is to start moving to other parts of the world and traveling to very poor parts of the world and see how difficult it is to live in these countries and then come back to Canada, you'll stop complaining. I guarantee you, you will stop complaining. And we need to see that. You know, travel will do you a world of good, but usually what we do is we go to these nice places, and it's all money and resorts. Just move away from the resorts for a day or two and just go out and find out where the regular people live and make nothing, and then you'll get a better understanding of what's going on. It says here, uh, next we see here the wise person, not only, you know, as Dr. Lama says, advice is what the sage offers to others in order to give them guidance to navigate the troubles of life. You see, I think wise people... Have discernment. Wise people have understanding. Wise people know the path that that you should be on. Proverbs says, if someone curses father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. We've already looked at that. And why I'm saying that is, you know what? When we're wise, we honor the people that have done something for us. You know, we value what people do for us. You know, kids that walk around never appreciating their parents—that's that's folly. That's what a foolish person does. A wise person is filled with gratitude and thankfulness, especially for people who have done something for you at their expense. We should be valuing and honoring those people. Isn't that true? Right. Come on, let's think about that. You know, and then you know, God is the one that we need to understand who's gonna take care of the injustices that come your way. Listen when he says, wise person, this does not say I'll pay back for this wrong. That's a foolish person but rather wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. In other words, a lot of times you're gonna be treated unjustly. It's gonna happen, I guarantee you. Live this life for a long time and you will be treated unjustly at times. But a wise person doesn't retaliate. A wise person does good instead of evil. It doesn't allow the evil done to them to cause them to do evil in return. See, Jesus said a wise person blesses those that despitefully use you. In other words, let God be the one who deals with the situation. That's what he's telling us here. You know, the wise are also noted for their faithfulness. I love this. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Now, isn't it interesting? This word, unfailing love, I love that word. The Hebrew word is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's the word Has said is, if you think of it this way, it's a covenantal love. Do you know, what? listen, I want to encourage you for a moment. God's love for you and me is covenantal. And what is God saying to you? It's like a marriage. When you and I come to Christ, it's like we're getting married to God and he says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm gonna walk with you through the good times and the bad times. Even when you're a stinker, I'll stick with you. That's, that's chesed. That's a covenantal love. How many think that's beautiful? I love that word, chesed. It's covenantal in nature. It's a love that's unfailing. It's an unconditional love. And yet when I look around today, it, you know the proverbs, the wisdom people say this. You know, many say they have this kind of, this kind of commitment to each other. He goes, not so. Who's really faithful? Not many. I remember years ago, and this was so, it, it. Just so powerfully impacted me. You know, we had a, we had a couple that came to our church. It was their they were visitors, and the next week they had set up an appointment with me. And so I met them. I mean, anybody that makes an appointment. I'm going to see them. I met them. I saw them, and they said, "Pastor, we'd like you to do our wedding." I said, "Oh, okay. Well, when is that?" And we started chatting. I started to get to know them a little bit. And Of course, I always ask questions, you know. And I asked them, you know, "Have you ever been married before?" And I found out that the young woman had never been married, but the guy had. So I, you know. I, I just like to find out what's going on, you know, because how many know that your past performance is usually going to predicate future performance, unless there's a major change, and a major attitude change, a major transformation of life change, is going to be repeating itself. So I said, "Well, what happened to your first marriage?" I said, "I said, were you a Christian?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, my wife had uh, mental issues, and uh, and I said, and so you left her?" And he said, "Yep." You know. And so here's my mind, I'm clicking down my head and I'm going, okay. So I turned to the young woman and I said, what he's telling me right now, what you should be hearing is, he's gonna be married to you for better but not for worse. Can you imagine when I said that, what happened in that room? Uh, They never came back to the church. I didn't do the wedding. How many say, but pastor, you hit it right on the head. Because what he was telling us, by his behavior, was he doesn't have has said, He doesn't have that kind of committed love to this young woman. If she does something wrong, it's a conditional love. I can only love you if you're exactly the way I want you to be. Folks, that's not love. You know, that's something other than love. See, God wants to teach us what real love is, and God wants us to mirror that kind of love to a person. And I'm going to even argue, most people don't even know what love is until they've been married for a while, and they've learned enough of the idiosyncrasies and the difficulties in this other person. And then, in spite of all those things, you say to this person, I love you, and I choose to love you no matter what you're doing. Now, I, I understand there's situations on unfaithfulness. I get all of that. That's stuff, stuff we can't control. But what I'm trying to tell us is we need to learn how to practice Hassan, just like God practiced it towards us. It's getting quiet in here. The wise lead blameless lives. It says here, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Do you know that word blameless does not mean sinless, Okay. As a matter of fact, let me help you define the word blameless. Because when we read it, every once in a while we go, well, what is he really talking about? What does it mean to be blameless? Well, the book of Job describes it. And listen how God describes blamelessness. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. And here's the definition. Who fears God and shuns evil. That's a blameless life. It's the person who's avoiding evil and embracing the good things of God. That's a blameless life. And that's what wise people do. They live blameless lives. So what happens? The righteous have an amazing impact. The blameless person influences other people's lives. I like what Dr. Longman says. He says, the righteous are good role models to those who are watching their lifestyle. Isn't that beautiful? You know... So if you grew up in a home where you have a a godly heritage, you have a blameless parent, blameless parents. You have godly parents, wise parents. You know what's going to happen is you're watching their lifestyle. You're being taught how to live wisely. Now, a lot of us in this room, maybe we didn't have that. I didn't grow up in that. But that doesn't excuse us for not learning to do that. You know, once you become a Christian, once you give your life to Christ, once God regenerates your heart... God says, now I'm gonna show you a better way to live. I'm gonna show you my path. You start walking on that and things are gonna start happening in your life. You're gonna start living a blameless life and you're gonna become a role model for other people. People are gonna see the transformation in your lives. The wise are also honest. You know, I think first of all, they're honest with themselves. I love Proverbs 29. Who can say I've kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? There's not one person in this room can say that. Isn't that true? We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've all fall short of God's glory. I think it's amazing when we recognize that we are imperfect in need of God's grace. Do you know what I learned? I can far be far more gracious to other people knowing that I need God's grace in my life. As a matter of fact, I think that's why Jesus taught us how to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's a recognition. I'm a sinner and so are other people. And I need to have far more grace for other people. You know, a lot of us have a lot of grace for ourselves sometimes and very little grace for others. How many know that's true? I think we need to have equal amounts of grace. We need to have grace for ourselves and grace for others. How about that? Write that one down in your little notebook. I need to have grace for myself because some of you are far too hard on yourself, but then I also need to have more grace for others. How many think that might be important? Grace... I need grace for myself and grace for others, but it's not an excuse to sin. Better put that little caveat, but not an excuse to sin, all right? Because that's where other people go, and that's a problem. Then it says here, um, different weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. What's he saying? God hates dishonesty. He hates dishonesty when we're dishonest with ourselves, and he hates it when we're cheating other people. Those who, what are these texts teaching us? We can determine the integrity of our, act, uh, our uh, lives by our actions. And look what it says in verse 11. Even small children are known by their actions, so is their conduct, really pure and upright. So what he's, he's basically saying is, hey, we can tell where we're at basically by what we do. And if we're doing stupid, sinful, thoughtless, you know, selfish things, it's saying, that's an indictment against ourselves. Maybe we have to take a look at where we're at. Maybe we need to come back to God and say, Lord, we gotta work on this. You know, the speech of the wise is valuable. They exhibit insight and discernment. I love this. It says, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. I gotta, I'm gonna ask the question. How many people in our culture would dispute this text? A lot. Yeah, A lot. Be right. Let me go back. I didn't put that text in. Oh, verse 15. Gold there is, and rubies in abundance. But lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. If I said to the average person today, which is more important to you, wisdom or wealth? What would you say? Most people would say wealth. wealth. Would you say 70% of our culture would say wealth over wisdom? Yep. 80? Yep. 90? Yep. 95? Yep. I mean, we're moving it up, aren't we? Yeah, sold. Isn't that the truth? Can I tell you? Bad choice. You see, we are so crazy in this culture. We make political decisions based on economies rather than morality. But what we don't understand is morality determines economy. It's the truth. And we don't realize that. Here's the benefits of wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. She is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Then it goes on to say here, long life, I just jumped over that one, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. In other words, Where do you think Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you? See, the problem is, it's not that God is against blessing us with things. God says, wrong priority. Get our priorities right. First things first. Wisdom over money or wealth. Kingdom of God over the things of this world. When you get it right, God says, no, I can give you the other things you need to live on. I can give you honor. I can give you a long life. I can give you all of these things. But wisdom has to take the precedence. It says, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. How many think that's amazing? If you stay on this path, what God is saying is this is the right path. When you stay on it, good things happen to you. But you got to stay on that path. And there's a lot of pitfalls that are going to come. You have to avoid certain things. And then you got to embrace other things. And then we read the wise here, uh, actually seek counsel from others. It says, plans are established by seeking advice, so if you wage war, obtain guidance. What's he saying? When you make the major decisions of life, when you're making the significant, difficult decisions of life, what's he telling us to do? Go talk to some other wise people and run it by them. Why is he telling us to do that? Because every one of us, in a major decision in life, we are subjectively looking at it, and we need objectivity. You know, when you get other wise people looking at it, and they don't have the same emotional attachments to the decisions you have, they're able to look at it with a little more detachment and objectivity, and you and they can see things more clearly. And you and I can be blind to certain things. You know, you know, you know. Sometimes I laugh at our culture. You know, we. Sometimes we we choose marriage partners without any sort of advice from anybody that's older and wiser than us. You know, sometimes I look at these other cultures that have arranged marriages, and you know, I'm going, they're not that dumb at times. Sometimes they're doing it for the wrong reason. There's diaries and money. I get all that. That's bad. But what I'm saying is when you have a loving parent, they're saying, you know what? This is who you are, and this is who this person is, and we can see this is not a good arrangement. But you know, when you're madly infatuated, it's really hard to see anything. It's getting real quiet in here, you know. All right, let me move on to the last one. Finally, the wise take responsibility for addressing evil when it's in their authority to do so. It says, a king's wrath strikes terror like the roar of a lion, and those who anger him forfeit their lives. We read that. When a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. So what are we talking about here? here's what we need to know. We need to address evil. But where does that begin? You know, a lot of us are crusading against a lot of evils in our culture today. Here's my first step. If you're a wise person, you start where? Deal with the evil inside of your soul. Step one. Step one, where am I at? And what evil is raging in my own life? Before I walk around condemning all that stuff out there, maybe I need to take a hard look in here. That's step one. I'm not suggesting we don't deal with that. I think we should, but I think we have to be wise. You know, we can't be indifferent and apathetic to evil because usually what happens then, it leads to more evil. If you don't don't address evil, evil will continually bring about destruction. What we're watching in our culture today is the emergent destruction that's happening in our society because we're allowing and propagating evil in our society today. So how are we going to stop it, Pastor? We just got to write the right, vote the right political party in? No, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you how it's going to start. When you and I individually look at our own souls, say, okay, God, these are the things in my life that need to be addressed. When I, when I get my soul right with God, when I have my own personal revival, when I start becoming the wise person God's calling me to be, and all of a sudden I see other people in our church family and other church families and the community of faith start getting right with God and walking in wisdom, we have a revival. When we have that kind of a movement, all of a sudden it influences the culture. If the church gets to where she should be, we will begin to influence the culture the way we should be doing. How's that? So let me just refresh our minds. So what do the wise avoid? Addictions, alienating those in authority, unnecessary strife, and avoiding gossip, and too much talking, or those who talk too much. What do we embrace? Diligence, concern about others, faithfulness, blamelessness, honesty, wisdom in our speech, Uh, willing to listen to the good counsel of other wise people and responsible to address evil, beginning in our own soul. How many know we need God's grace to do this? You you think you're going to address evil in your own soul apart from God? Good luck. It's not going to happen. Let's stand this morning. How many say, Lord, deliver me from this present evil age? How many want that to happen? Boy, I I pray that prayer. Deliver us. But I read it this morning in Galatians. How does that happen? By Jesus coming and delivering me from my sin. I have to experience the delivering power of God in my own life. I have to begin to allow the power of God's grace and the work of his spirit and begin to surrender. And here's what I'm gonna say. We have to let the word of God judge us. A lot of us don't do that. We're judging the word of God. Let's let the word of God judge us. I think we need to be wise, like the psalmist says, Lord, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Let's begin there. God, do I talk too much? Do I gossip? You know, am I argumentative? Do I have a rebellious attitude towards authority? You see how practical this is? How many are seeing this is quite practical? Let's evaluate our own soul. You know, where am I at with all of this? And Lord, am I diligent? Am I honest with myself? Am I honest with others? Am I concerned about other people? You know, I walk in humility and seek the wisdom and counsel of other godly people and need their assistance to make significant decisions. So with every head bowed this morning, Maybe you're here today, you say, you know, Pastor, I believe the Spirit of God speaking to me this morning. I sense right now that, you know what, I've fallen into a few pitfalls. And I recognize I wanna walk on the path of wisdom. And maybe that's you this morning. Just with an uplifted hand, say, Lord, would you see my heart today? Would you help me in this area in my life? Would you deliver me from this in my own soul, Lord? Help me, oh God. Would you bring revival into my own life? Would you deliver me and bring peace and grace into my own life so that you would deliver me from this present evil age? Even though I'm living in a present evil age, you can lift me above it and that I can walk with hope and joy and grace, that I can be part of the solution to a world that's deteriorating right in front of my eyes. And so, Father, that's our prayer today, that you would search our hearts, that you would Evaluate our lives, that your word would be the the standard by which we're evaluating how we are walking with you, Father. I pray that you would speak deeply into our souls this week, that this would not be a sermon that I heard and then 20 minutes later forgot what was said. I pray that the Spirit of the living God would take home the very things that you want to abide in our souls, that we would leave this place going, okay, God, I get it. You're talking and I'm going to pay attention. I know I need your help. I want to walk in wisdom. I don't want to walk in folly. I want to be delivered, Lord. I want to live that blameless life. I want to, you know, put the right priorities in my life. I want your kingdom above even the things of this world because I know that everything I need, you'll take care of me. You'll provide for me. But I want your kingdom first. And I just thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.